Hey everybody, welcome to the Eat Well Podcast. It's Dylan here and I'm back hanging out on a Zoom uh, call with back hanging out with Selena and Jenny, my two hunting partners, and we're, we're, we're coming back to episode two of our adventure hunting planning series. And in this episode, I'm really excited to welcome uh, Michael Bridger. He's a biologist from Region 7, which is northern BC in northeast BC. And uh, we're, uh, we're going to get together and we're going to talk about sheep hunting and, and sheep and sheep habitat. Uh, one of the focuses of our hunt is to set about potentially finding a sheep in the, in the northern mountain, in the northern Rockies of BC. And when you're doing a, a trip like this, uh, an adventure hunt, uh, one of the things I would advocate is to, to do as much research uh, ahead of a trip like this. And uh, so we had the opportunity, normally, like I'm very fortunate as a, as a BC, uh, uh, as, a, as a park ranger, I'm lucky enough to know a lot of folks who work in the ministry. So I often reach out to biologists and others to kind of, you know, get a bit of information. And then, uh, and in this case, uh, I, I thought it'd be fun if I could take that one step further and maybe ask Mike to come on to our podcast and talk a little bit about, uh, about sheep and, and, and his passion for sheep. So um, maybe we'll, well, as we get started here, we'll just do a quick round of introductions and maybe just acknowledge uh, the territory you're in. Um, uh, I'm sitting here in, in, uh, Squamish and Musqueam territory, and I'll pass it over to Selena to say hello and and uh, and go from there. <laughs> Hi, gang. Selena here. Um, Dylan and I were both in the same neighborhood, so so we're on the same territories. Cool, cool. And Jenny, why don't you say hello? Hi, everybody. My name's Jenny, and uh, I am currently on the Squamish and the Lewat uh, Nations territory. And then we'll go over to our guest, Mike. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Great to be here with you tonight. Uh, I'm coming from Fort St. John, which is up in northeast BC, so that's uh, Treaty 8 territory. Uh, we're in the traditional territory of Blueberry River, Doig River, and Halfway River First Nations, and uh, the Dunezaw people. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, I just, uh, I was up there, well, Jenny and I were up there last winter uh, on a bison hunt, and uh, we got through right, we on yep. the beaver territory there. Uh, or the Beaver Nation, I think. Is it the Beaver First Nation or the Beaver Nation? I'm not sure. Um, Nation, yeah, I believe, yeah. yeah. And, and uh, yes, yeah, so we, we had an awesome hunt, and we were welcomed onto the Blueberry First Nation Ranch and, and met, uh, uh, I don't know if Vern's an el elder or not, but he's certainly a knowledgeable character, and uh, yeah, he yeah, does really well. Yeah, that's a great place, and I, I followed along on your hunt there last year, and so that was, that was really entertaining, yeah. Oh, yeah, it was pretty funny. I, I guess, yeah, we did a, our podcast series there that was, uh, yeah, it was... That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good hunt. And uh, actually, we're uh, Jenny. You got news on that, didn't you? Yeah, I got the bison draw, so we're going back. Oh, awesome! <laughs> yep. oh, congratulations! Oh, that's a great draw. Um, I'm sure you'll have a lot of fun up there again. Now you know so much more than you did last year, so you guys will do well. Yeah, we Matt. know what bison shit looks like. Goals. Because <laughs> <laughs> like the the lines and lines of tracks wasn't enough to help you identify where they were. <laughs> it oh, took no, a little. The beginning, it, yeah, the beginning of the hunt, it was like, is that moose? Is that bison? By the end of the hunt, it was like bison, moose, bison, bison. So, nice. learning. Yeah. Well, the, the other big thing is like, you know, what direction are the tracks going? Like, it, they just make such a big swath of, you like, find your walking backwards on a set of tracks for a while that's that's a good one too so that's true yeah they just leave a trough in the snow there yeah absolutely yeah, takes a while hey so mike so i'm excited to actually get we've chatted on the phone a number of times it's really great to meet you but let's just start generally um what okay so i would say like you have if you're like a biologist say in north america and or if you wanted to be a wildlife biologist in north america and you, you could like put your finger on a map to be like to manage 
the most diverse, awesome population of wildlife, you'd probably put your finger on a map pretty close to where you find yourself being a biologist. So I, I'm curious as to how did you, uh, what, like, how did you find your way to the, what I would say is like the pinnacle of the biologist community in North America? Yeah, well, well thanks for that. I, I, I agree with you. The Peace Region up here in northern BC, I, I think, is the best around. I mean, the wildlife diversity, the abundance, uh, you know, we've got, I think, 11 or 13 big game species here. It really doesn't get any better than that. Um, I mean, I had some good fortune landing here. Um, you know, I, I spent quite a bit of time in school doing a few degrees uh, to get that, that wildlife management background and then just had good timing finishing up grad school and a job opening up here in Fort St. John and um, started as a fish and wildlife uh, biologist and just sort of transitioned just um, just strictly into wildlife and uh, yeah, I've been up here for over five years now and um, some amazing opportunities. I love this area to work in. Uh, I'll never get tired of flying around in these mountains and uh, some of the projects I get to work on are, are just unbelievable so yeah I'm pretty lucky that way. How does that fit into to hunting? Were you hunting first, afterwards? What what came first? Yeah, for sure. I, I grew up hunting. Yeah, I'm uh, an avid hunter. I mean, avid might not even be the right word. I'm a borderline obsessive hunter. Um, <laughs> You've got a and, problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, in, in sort of a previous life, too, it feels like a previous life now. I, I worked as a hunting guide as well, a sheep hunting oh, wow. guide in, in the Northwest Territory. So um, that kind of paid my way through school in large part. And um yeah, so I, I find the, the biology and the hunting really go hand in hand quite nicely. I mean, hunting management, harvest management is a huge part of the job up here. So um, they, they go, they harmonize quite well, for sure. <laughs> Dylan, you found the right guy. <laughs> kind of knew that going into this. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a list and uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, it was the first guy I reached out to for sure. Uh, well, the other, the other actually, I, I, I was actually very pleased because I, I, I had to do a, a, a request to the ministry to, to, to speak uh, with the ministry biologist. And as public servants, we're very mindful of, you know, where we where we work with media. And, and believe it or not, Eat Wild Podcast is considered media. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it, the turnaround was great. There was a lot of support to talk about, you know, particularly talking about hunting in the context of like, um, speaking to new hunters and, and how to be, you know, prepare for a safe trip. And I think that was, uh, I actually put the request in and the next day I had the support to reach out to Mike. So I, I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty excited about that, that, that response. And I, I think that, you know, I'll reach out. To, uh, I'm excited to talk to um, Conrad and, and talk Caribou and there's a few other folks that are really passionate about their work and have such great stories to tell. So I hope over the next year I'll be able to bring on more biologists to do these kind of conversations so. yeah that's great and I mean we appreciate the platform right to get to to talk to folks uh, I think most of us really enjoy this part of the job I mean if you consider this work right now we love the outreach for sure yeah for sure okay well let's get let's get into some fun stuff I'm, I'm excited about this uh, oh gosh where do we start okay okay I know where I want to start okay we're going sheep, and you know sort of where we're going do you mind just sending us over a map with a few pinpoints of where we should focus our hunting efforts, Mike. That would probably be the easiest for us if you don't mind doing that. Is that cool? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Well, um, get that kind of uh, get that messaging quite a bit. You know, um, it's great though. People reach out, hunters reach out um, for information ahead of time, and I am fully supportive of that and happy to spend time talking to hunters, um, sharing sort of you know ideas around sheep ecology and sheep hunting. Uh, don't expect me to put an X on a map for your, for anyone. Um, you know, I I, I love 
love the calls when someone tells me that, you know, they, they've got a place in mind, uh, this is where they're thinking of going and then, you know, asking some questions around, well, what, what can you expect in there? Um, the ones that are a bit tougher, you might not get as much out of me as if you call and say, uh, where should I go? Uh, you know, without any sort of <laughs> planning or anything ahead of time, um, you may not get as much information out of me that way. But uh, yeah, happy to just support the the conversation and the planning in general, for sure. Well, well that's exactly what this podcast is about. It's about, you know, the process that we're going through as a team to put together what we will, it will be a trip of a lifetime. And, you know, we want to do everything we can to reduce manage our risk to as close to zero as possible for our safety and increase our chances of success uh, for an awesome hunt, whether it involves, you know, success to taking an animal or just being in spectacular country and hopefully getting good weather and just having a great time and having a unique experience. So um, this for us is a huge part of it. Just doing this research of, of talking to a biologist. To, and I, I think we want, even want to like, you know, as much as, you know, we'd love to talk a little bit about, how to approach the piece of country that we're, we're going into, but probably even taking this conversation a step back and talking specifically around sheep and their habitat and their behavior and approaches to hunting them. Cause as a, you know, I, I think around the collectively, like we don't have a ton of experience hunting sheep. I, I I've been on four or five dedicated sheep hunts, two of which have uh, been completely blown out by weather. And, um, and the other three have involved lots of sheep, but no, uh, no opportunities at a, at a legal ram that I was comfortable shooting at. So, and, and, and I don't know, Selena, have you been on a sheep hunt or Jenny? No, no dedicated sheep hunt. I've been out, um, out of hunting season and up in the Alpine and definitely seeing herds around. And that was a real treat, real fun. Yeah, but great. no. Jenny, what's I your, have... ex- what's your expectation <laughs> of this hunt? What's your expectation of this hunt, Jenny? <laughs> this is our three sheep, two elk hunt. <laughs> we're gonna bring a gold. little barge to to drag behind yeah, our raft. Yeah, I hope you have big rafts. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what that's what Jenny did. She she weighed she she weighed out exactly what she could fit into her raft, and then she weighed out what a, a skin a, a ram is like. Yeah, ram and an elk, and she figures she's got room. Go. I'm bringing I'm rafting the Squamish River tomorrow with a buddy of mine that weighs like 200 pounds, and he's just supposed to act like my dead elk. <laughs> <It's his role. laughs> dead dead weight yeah. Yeah. just lay in the bottom of the raft can yeah. you get half of them to fit inside the tube of the raft <laughs> no, i haven't gone that far i think i think we might just put him on the outside and see how he goes i told him he could wear a life jacket cool. you're very generous cool. i don't know if you got a chance to listen to our first episode mike did you, did you catch the the our first conversation yeah. I did. I did. Yeah. I, uh, I enjoyed that. And I, I like what you guys are planning here. I think it's going to be a great adventure for sure. It's a really nice way to hunt that country. Okay. So we haven't been specific around where we're going, but I'm pretty much sure you know exactly where we're going. Um, <laughs> but we'll do our best to try and keep things subtle. We're calling it a Northern Rocky Mountain River and uh, we're flying in and drifting back out to a pickup location. Um, and we'll do our best to try and keep on that. But, uh, um, but yeah, I, our, our plan is, you know, we're going to cover some ground by a water and then hopefully look for some opportunities to climb up into the Alpine. Um, let, let's start with, um, you know, what are some, what are a couple of things that uh, when you're in the preparation stages of, of going on a sheep hunt, what are some of the things that you're thinking about uh, before you head out? Oh, it's a pretty vast list of things as, as you guys are experiencing right now you know right from 
getting in shape, you know, are you feeling fit enough? Um, the, the food, the locations, uh, you know, the access, where are you packing? Uh, what kind of weather are you expecting? Um, the list is vast. I mean, so finding the, the location is probably the most important one that's going to sort of set the stage for the rest of your hunt. You guys have found that part. So now it's just, matter of putting in that research, you know, looking at the maps, looking at Google Earth, kind of getting a game plan, I guess, as to how you're going to approach this hunt, you know, and you've kind of alluded to it there. And I think you kind of hit on the, the one that I, I would probably, where I kind of want to take that, this preparation part is like, how does somebody who, who does, you know, I'm fortunate I've got connections to people who say, yeah, maybe you should try here. Maybe you should try there. Where would you send somebody who's, who's like, hey, I want to try and do a, a sheep adventure. Where would you sort of send them to start that research process? Yeah, I, I mean, there's lots of um, there's lots of material online, you know, searching whether that be hunting forums or social media, you know, to give you sort of some ideas. I, I think there's a lot of value in finding a mentor from the sheep hunting community if you can. I mean, these these hunts are tough. Uh, the the mountains are tough. The the whole idea around identifying, judging sheep, you know, legality and all that is challenging. Uh, you certainly set yourself up for success if you're going with someone who's done this before, if, or at least you can have some conversations with someone who's done this before. Start there, I, I would say, and they're going to at least, you know, get you set up and point in the right directions. Um, so finding a good mentor, I think, is really important. Yeah, I've, I've sat there and looked at sheep through the spotting scope and I've been counting rings and gone like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, it's definitely legal. And then, okay, I'll count again. They got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, it's got to be legal. Look at those bases. Definitely nine. And I'm just like, I wish there was a somebody who knew what they were doing laying next to me, <laughs> looking through their spotting scope with the same sheep. <laughs> that, yeah, that. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, but we've all been there. Um, it's not not an easy thing to do and there's so many factors and conditions that can come into play when you're trying to age sheep for instance you know whether that's heat waves in your your spotting scope or you know mm -hmm. different distances or just different um horn patterns you know and then the annuli don't show up as well there's a ton of different factors that can throw anyone off really at any experience level but there are some you know some pieces that you can really look at that I suspect we're going to talk about here tonight. Yeah, we'll, we'll get on, we'll get on to aging maybe towards the end if we, um, and I, I think we're kind of start, starting with sort of that general research and, and, and looking at the different resources that, and then I think probably where we, we're both, we're all most excited about it, just kind of breaking down a little bit about some questions around the sheep themselves and, and, and what, what type of habitat we're looking at. So let's move to habitat. So what, what we would be looking for if we were looking at Google earth or if we were doing that high level research is what, what train features we're looking at. Maybe Selena, do you want to jump in here and sort of ask any questions on, on, on that component? Yeah, absolutely. I know that that uh, deer and many other ungulates they have their their preferred food, and for me, when I'm traveling over shorter distances and I'm looking for deer, for example, I can I can see a snowberry patch from half a kilometer away just because I'm like, oh, I know what that patch looks like, and I I know that the sheep are going to be way the f up there, and when we commit to that hill. I'm not going to see their food from at the bottom of the hill. What what exactly are we looking up and, and, and assessing on the ground? But even before that, even on maps, like what kind of features are we looking for there too? 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's a bit of a wide range, really. It just sort of depends on the general area that you're going into. Um, you know, some of, in the Peace Region, some of these sheep hang out in what I consider sort of softer country, sort of foothill, front range country that may not at first glance look as sheepy as what you'd expect you know you may not see a ton of rock and cliffs and that um, but some sheep do really well out in that country they're sort of making a trade-off where there there may be more um, food and forage availability out there but they may be putting themselves at a bit higher risk for predation but but some sheep do really well out in that what I call softer country and then and then you know a lot of sheep live in sort of what we consider the more typical sheep habitat and that's like a really it's a mixture of two primary things being escape terrain, you know, to avoid predation and then, and then forage, um, access to forage. And so, you know, they're, they're in, in the summertime, early fall, you know, they're really grazing, you know, hitting the, the grasses, the ground lichens, the forbs. Um, there are times in the year when, when they're browsing too, you know, and they will move down a bit and hit some of the willow patches and that. So, um, it is tough to narrow down when you when you're looking at a mountain um, but you're looking for some of those key features where you've got some you know if you're looking at generally you're going to find those sheep uh, earlier in the year in sort of the top third of the mountain um, oh, so you're, you're looking for that you know some cliffy stuff rocky stuff up high and then you know green slopes down below uh, you'll find sheep right in those kind of high hanging basins quite often and you know a lot of the time they're comfortable to drop down right into those the bottoms of those basins to feed as as long as they can you know within relatively quick distance get into some rocky stuff um, they're yeah. pretty comfortable you don't usually catch them out in you know the real flat stuff or crossing major valleys all that often although it does happen but um, generally they won't stray too far from a some rock that they can escape to it's almost like they're living on islands. So these these tops of the mountains are their little islands that they're on. Yeah, for sure. And they but they do make forays, you know, to different islands. If, yeah. if you look at it that way, they will cross valleys, and they usually do so pretty quickly. Like they don't they don't <laughs> mingle, or you know, they don't wait around when they're crossing major valleys where they feel vulnerable. So, um, you know, and then the other thing, like they're not necessarily in the really rocky, rugged stuff either. You know, I often think if you're seeing say mountain goats you're probably a little bit too rugged you know maybe move to the next mountain where it's a little more gentle often those goats are in the really really cliffy stuff and the sheep I, I generally don't see them overlapping a ton so something to keep in mind that, uh, that sounds good to me <laughs> yeah. I went on a 10-day sheep out where we saw a lot of goats <laughs> not a lot of sheep That's yeah yeah an indicator might have been a bit too rugged. Yeah, it could have been a bit too rugged. Yeah, it was rugged for sure. Beautiful, Mike. Gosh, like, yeah. yeah. Jenny, quiet, Selena. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just wondering if there's a seasonality around the the because you said that they're browsing, so they're they're hitting up the willow at the lower elevations, and then and then they're going higher and they're they're grazing on on some of the grasses. Um, is there seasonality? Is that a through the day thing? Temperature? Yeah, well, a bit of yeah, a bit of everything. That's a good question. So you know, earlier on in the summer, you know, you're generally going to find them at the higher elevations, yeah. um, especially if it's hot. Um, you know, they're going to be up high, probably in the wind, trying to escape the bugs. Mm. So that's you know, you may find them right on skyline, right up high in the rocks uh, that time of year. 
Um, Seasonality-wise, you know, as they move through the fall, um, November comes the rut, and then so they sort of congregate in sort of their traditional rutting ranges, which is usually a bit closer to what their winter range would be. Winter range, usually it's a bit different. Um, It may be a little bit more mellow, you know, south-facing grassy slopes uh, or up on kind of windswept ridges. Uh, So there's usually a bit of variation between winter range and their summer range for sure. Hmm. Nice. I, I like that. I, I never even thought about that, heading up to the peaks and then standing right in the wind. So all these insects are blown off. I've heard exactly. horror stories about um, caribou dying from dehydration with, with insects pulling out so much blood from these poor animals. They just can't keep going. The insects can drive them crazy for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you definitely see caribou, caribou react really strongly to insects. So they'll either go <laughs> up high, you know, on those ridge lines, or often they'll find a patch of snow, you know, uh, that's remaining from the winter, and they'll stand on those to try to cool down and stick their nose in the snow to get some relief. Yeah, <laughs> there's fun where we're going. Yeah, should <laughs> <laughs> be okay. Is there gonna be bugs, Mike? Well, you might find a few. I mean, that's that's comes to a question of early season versus late season. You know, a, a topic of of conversation. Um, there's advantages to going early season. One of the disadvantages might be bugs. There's some advantages to going late season, and that's that you, you generally don't have any bugs to deal with. So, yeah. and when you're talking season, you mean the hunting season? Yeah. Sorry, I'm okay. you know within the the range between August first for for stone sheep in BC opens August first to October. October 15th being the sort of the back end of the season. Right. Yeah, that's that's a common question. I, I kicked that one around with Jesse Zeman on a podcast a while ago, whether we go early or late. But since you touched on it, why not give us the cold notes on, on you know, mm-hmm. the value of going early? Like we're going, So we're going to August 8th, we're flying in. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah. What do, you, what do you think about uh, early versus late? Yeah, lots of pros and cons. Uh, I'm a bit more of a late season hunter myself. Um, early season pros, I mean, uh, first kick at the can, so to speak, you know, maybe before the, the sheep start getting pressured, if you're in a, an area where there is hunting pressure. Um, you know, they are up high and visible, um, but, the, you know, they can, that time of year, they can be yeah, in some pretty rugged stuff, tough to tough to get at, and and if the pressure is getting to them a bit, they can certainly get into some some tough terrain. But you know, you got long days. Uh, the weather, in theory, should be better. Um, not always the case though in August. Uh, you got to be prepared for anything. Um, late season, you know, depending how late you go, like if you're getting into the kind of the snow season, well, some of those sheep, those rams will start kind of moving out of that really back rugged country and kind of making their way towards the the rutting grounds and the winter range. Um, I, li- I really like the look of the, the sheep, stone sheep in the late season. The capes are just incredible. Um, generally less hunting pressure, um, but the days are short. Uh, the weather can be brutal that time of year in mm. October in the, in the Northern Rockies. So um, yeah, there, it's, I mean, the pros and cons to both. I, yeah. I thought about going up to the late season and I kind of, Usually around like October 1st, I start watching the weather up north and, I, and I'm like, ooh, God. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not trying to hang on some side of a mountain looking for a sheep. It doesn't look all that pleasant, but yeah, yeah. it have to be, be a tough sort for sure. Yeah, it can be brutal, but at the same time, you can get some incredible weather in late September too. And and you could get snowed on in August, so <laughs> you never yeah, know. Yeah, yeah for no, sure. Don't say that. Don't say that. So we're not. We're, we're, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah, fine. Oh, yeah. No bugs. 
no perfect bugs, temperature. perfect temperature. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jay, do you want to jump in here and, and ask you about habitat as we're, before we move on to behavior? All right, so let's uh, okay. So we're trying to get some generalities around behavior. Uh, this is where I'm kind of curious. Is around kind of, you know, like I, I've done a bit of sheep watching, but I, I I don't know as much about why sheep do what they do, uh, and, and I'm sort of curious around you know a day in the life of a sheep uh, as to what they're sort of you know what they're up to throughout the day as they you know typically I see them kind of you know bedded down you know in cliffy habitat. And I occasionally see them move off into patches of, you know, feed and they hang around. And then, and then I don't know what incites them. Like all of a sudden they all get up and go somewhere else. I don't know where they're going, what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you can lend some insight as to, you know, in a, in a day in a life of a sheep in the, in sort of in August, what are they up to? What should we be thinking about as we're trying to figure out sheep as we're chasing after? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I mean, so let's say starting in the morning, like they are sort of crepuscular in nature, right? Where they're sort of more active in dawn and dusk. Uh, that's generally the case with sheep. So yeah, often, you know, early in the morning, they are up feeding, you know, that's when you might catch them on the sort of the grassy slopes. And then as, as the day goes on, sort of midday, like, like a lot of ungulates, they tend to want to find a nice place, a secure place to bed down. This is, you know, they, they're extremely vigilant uh, species, you know, they're always on the watch. So like you mentioned, Dylan, they, they often find a place to bed, you know, in something pretty secure, rocky, cliffy, uh, generally where they're going to have a great view of everything down below. Uh, they're going to be smelling those, those thermals midday as the wind, wind comes up the slope. Um, you'll see that most of the time they're bedded oriented looking down the hill. Um, that's why some sheep hunters like to be up high and potentially come in from above where generally they're less vigilant looking for danger above them. But in, you'll see often in a band of rams, they'll be oriented in all sorts of different positions. So there'll be a few rams looking uphill, a few looking down, a few looking to the side. So yeah, the, the bigger the band of rams, the, you know, the more eyes and uh, nostrils you're, you're dealing with. So it gets, that can be a little tougher. Um, but they do move too, for sure. And well, I should say like midday, they, they will get up and, and feed midday. Often you'll see them get up, feed for maybe half an hour or so, move around a little bit and bed right back down again. And sometimes they'll lay there for hours and hours on end and you might be stuck waiting for them to make their next move. Um, but they do certainly move like, um, more anecdotal than anything I've observed you know they don't really linger on the same mountain you know slope or the same basin for too too long you know more than a day or two at a time they seem to like to work that country I, I suspect just to keep moving to to stay away you know to to keep the predators at bay I guess and and certainly if they're getting pressured by by hunters or predators then they can make some pretty big rapid movements uh, long distances or big elevations for sure how much ground do you think they can cover in a day if they're like, you know what, this place smells like cougar, I'm out of here? Well, I mean, they can cover huge amounts of ground if they really choose to. It's really going to depend on what that habitat's like, how far they have to go uh, before they feel comfortable again. So you'd have to push them really hard to make them go, you know, several kilometers at, at one point in time. But, they, you know, they can they can get up and, and move a few kilometers pretty quickly. And, and they'll do that if they feel pressured and if they want to get to a, a more secure spot. Right, yeah. But it'd be measured in like the, the couple of kilometers and not... Uh, not the tens of kilometers. <laughs> generally, generally, yeah. yeah. 
Great. And then, so, so you talked about like the wake up in the day and mostly lounging around, eat a little bit maybe, and then come the end of the day being crepuscular? Yeah. They... You'll see them generally feeding again, sort of in the evening. I don't know. There's something in my mind around that seven o'clock in the evening time where I always expect the sheep, the rams to be up and feeding. Not always the case, of course, but um, <laughs> that's definitely when I'm, I'm keeping an eye out. <laughs> seven seven p.m. changes though, depending on the the month of the year that we're that's in. Right. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, maybe don't take that one to the bank. But yeah, the, the, the evening for sure is a great time to to try to spot them. Of course, uh, yeah. you might be racing against the clock to get to them that night. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to get very dark where we're going throughout the night. I, mean, I think it'll be sundown at eleven, sun up at three or something. Or yeah, these light yeah. skies, right? So Yeah, you'll have some long days for sure. Long days and big naps in the afternoon when the sheep are sleeping, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so I have a question. Like one of one of the things that I've come up against like when observing sheep, and I don't know if you have any thoughts or strategy around it, like a lot of the like the you know the, those a lot of those northern rocky valleys are kind of U shaped valleys. And often they're kind of, they're like a basin and at the back end of the basin, like there's, there's no way you're going to get above them in these basins because the, 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 the ridges are so steep and the mountains are so steep and there'll be a group of rams bed down at the back end of a basin, um, which you can see from five, three kilometers away, whatever. Um, like what would you do if you saw a group of rams at the back end? Like, like they, can you, is there any, is there any way you can walk up there without just completely pushing them right out or, or like, is there any, there must be a thought process around what you can do in that situation. Yeah, it's really uh, situational. Um, I mean, I would always say, don't let them see you no matter what, you know, you can, you're far better off if they have no idea you're there. I mean, that's kind of a no brainer, but it's important to consider. Um, so if they're in those places that are really exposed and there's just no way to get in close uh, within shooting distance you got to wait them out and, and and hope they move in a better position you know it's not worth risking it but in a lot of that country you know there's subtle terrain you know features that you can sneak up whether that's a creek bed or um, you know whether you get in the willows or some timber and, and and a lot of the time you can close the distance and maybe it's just a matter of getting as close as you can and then hunkering down and seeing what their next move is or maybe they'll feed towards you or Maybe they won't, and, they, and you know you have to try again another day. But um, yeah, you definitely don't want to push it. Uh, once you know, once they know they're being hunted, well, it's going to make that a whole lot harder on you. Mm -hmm. the, their eyesight's incredible, uh, and their sense of smell too. You really got to respect that. So always, always watch the wind. Yeah. Okay. Um, as a as a rule of thumb, you know what range would you say that a, a sheep will start to spook when they see humans? Well, I, I'd probably say, you know, when you get in with that into that kilometer range, I would start, um, yeah, I would start hiding for sure. Okay. That's, that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of, that's one area that I was, you know, we've just, in my experience, we've just tried waiting them out. Just like wait till they either come down the valley or go somewhere else, or at least go somewhere where we can get a little bit of cover to get closer. And then often it can take days before you can really get up there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, a kilometer as a rule of thumb that I can, I can live with that. That gives me something to work with. <laughs> yeah. That'd be my suggestion. I mean, it's always going to, you know, vary a little bit, but, uh, yeah, that range, I, I'm going to try to stay right out of sight from then on forward. You talked about, um, their sense of smell. 
Can you describe how wind direction changes through the day? Because this, this terrain is very like the U-shaped valleys that Dylan was describing before. And, and as the thermals change, as the, the, where the sun is in the sky, it's changing the temperature of the water body in the middle of that valley. It's changing the temperature of all things around. Can, can you describe through a day how the wind direction is changing? Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you can get some really crazy winds in these mountains. So yeah. it, it can be swirling all directions. You could be standing on top of a mountain and barely stand up straight. You know, the winds get so strong in that country. But the sort of the general rule of thumb is, you know, in, in the morning and the evenings when it's cooling down, that, that wind is coming down the hill, down from the top into the valley bottom. And then uh, midday, you know, as you approach midday and then the temperature warms up, then it shifts. So generally, you're going to have the, the scent, the wind going up, up the slope. Yep. And does it, does it travel down the valley or up or is that just? Um, it kind of depends on the orientation of the valley. But, you know, in most of those, say, um, say those east-west valleys, um, it's, it's going to be moving from, from the west to the east most of the time. But if, if, if you see it switch in the other direction, that might mean there's a storm coming in. So, oh, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> something to keep in mind. about not, not hunting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great, thanks. So I, I, I've got another question about, you know, and inevitably, like if you, if you do have a blown stock or, or, or you push the sheep, um, is it over or, or like how, how, how far can you anticipate if you, if you push sheep, if, you, if they see you at 500 yards and they're like, we're out of here and they call up and over the ridge and, and down the other side, uh, how, how long, how far, what's their response to that type of push? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to give a simple answer to that it is really going to depend on on what those sheep sort of uh, deal with day to day. If they if they're getting pushed by hunters, you know, maybe that we're already up there ahead of you um or if they're sensitive to predation that day, you know, it, it could really vary. I mean, um we've pushed sheep, you know, that you never see again you know i don't know where they go or how far they go um they're incredible at, at hiding in their environment um but you know i've also pushed sheep where you know you see them go over a mountain okay well leave them maybe for the, the day or, or maybe you know for a few hours and then head over that way and they might just be tucked in on the other side bedded or back to feeding yeah it, it is really variable so i don't know if i, I give you a, a straight answer on that no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's like all on guys. You'd be surprised. I mean, like I've, I've, I've jumped white tails and thought they were, I'd never see them again. And then I run after them a little bit and gosh, there they are just over the next break. And, you know, surprising is all, you know, and I've also jumped mule deer and expect them to stop at 80 yards and watch them basically, you know, run all the way to their wintering, <laughs> the wintering grounds five kilometers yeah, away. Like yeah. it's like, oh, they didn't stop. <laughs> so yeah you know I, I think it's really good but I, it's good to know that there's a chance it's still worth kind of looking if you do bump them and that's that's probably a takeaway from that cool so you know jenny you want to jump in with anything of your of your before we move on to maybe aging and 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 uh looking at cheap yeah for sure i've got a question about this year's uh, weather in particular there's tons of precip going on up there right now. Is that correct? It's been really wet. Yeah. 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 We're dr drowning up here this, uh, this summer so far. So, and what, yeah. What's that going to do? 
Well, that, I mean, it may make getting around that country a little more challenging, you know, when you're talking about crossing rivers or crossing creeks. Uh, I suspect right now the, the creeks and rivers are at an all-time high up there this t for this time of year. That can change pretty quickly, though. You know, you get a few days in a row where it's dry, the, the, that water will come down pretty quickly for sure. Um, as far as what effect that might have on sheep and like sheep behavior, sheep locations, uh, pretty hard to say. Um, I wouldn't expect it would have a huge, huge impact. It's not going to cause some areas just to bloom with plenty of food and have them all congregate on that one mountain over there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, there, yeah, that's right. Yeah. There could be a bit of a forage bump here for sure. You know, when you get that, that moisture early on in the spring there. Um, so it could be a good year in that sense. And hopefully that translates to good horn growth and good lamb survival. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, How's the snowpack up there? Was it a big snow year, and uh, and with all this rain, is there is it um, bringing that snowpack down earlier than normal? Yeah, it, it wasn't a huge snow winter um, in those northern Rockies, really. I mean, I spent pretty much all winter up there. It, it's really a, a dry area, actually. So you'd be surprised how dry it is up there in the winter, sort of in the you know the eastern slopes there. So it's a bit of a, a rain shadow, if you will. Um, and that's why the, the ungulates do so well up there. That's why you have such huge abundance of, of wildlife all through that sort of Musquakachika region up there. Uh, we don't get crazy snowpacks. A lot of the time, middle of the winter, those south-facing slopes will be barren. You know, so the elk and the, the sheep, they really thrive off of that. So I um, wouldn't expect uh, much of a lingering snowpack there for you this year. That, that's great because I also bodes well for – you know, you know, the main concern I have with rafting is like having a blown out river. And if we get lots of rain on top of, you know, snowpack that hasn't melted yet, that can really blow up a river. And, and uh, that's probably their biggest, my biggest concern is not having control on that. So. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, the, so getting around on rafts for sure could be um, influenced, I guess, by what those river levels are like. Um, but I, I suspect things will settle down here pretty quickly. We had some sort of extreme rainfalls there in, in June, and I don't expect that'll carry on all summer long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, well, let, let me, we're kind of well into this already. We're trying to cut this to an hour. So um, what about, um, so let, let's talk a little bit about a full curl ram, and what does that look like? So uh, I know that I've really, like, this has been a challenge of sheep hunting is like looking at rams and going gosh does it meet the legal definition of either a uh, an eight-year-old ram based on counting the the annuli or uh does it meet the legal definition as a full curl ram going over the bridge of its nose so maybe you can give us some insight on first of all what a what it, what is the legal definition of a full curl ram and how does that look when you're practically speaking in the field Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, this is really one of the biggest challenges of these sheep hunts is being comfortable with this part. Um, so uh, a full curl thin horn sheep um, is, a, is a ram whose horn tips, at least one of the horn tips extends above and beyond the bridge of the nose is a simple way of putting it. It's got to break the, the, the nasal um, bridge plane there. So there is a plane from the lowest point in the, the nasal bone to the lowest point sort of um, before the, the forehead starts there. That's the nasal plane that the, the horn tip has to break that. A really simple way of putting it though for hunters is just that horn tip has to break the bridge of the nose. And that, and you know, you will see some sheep that curl up um, 
they don't curl forward enough to actually break the physical bridge of the nose, but they curl up sort of behind, like around their ear more so. So in that sense, you have to imagine that plane, that lowest plane, that the nasal plane sort of carrying on back into their horn and then determining whether the horn tip um, oh. breaks that plane. So you can't have a full curl ram that doesn't actually come forward enough to break the, the physical nose bridge, but does curl up high enough behind that it is still breaking that plane okay that's an interesting way of putting it okay that that makes a lot of sense to me actually yeah i hope so i mean this is this can be hard to describe without diagrams and photos so sure we'll do do our best here but well when you come on to my my eat wild how to how to hunt sheep webinar series and uh help me with that then we'll we'll, we'll draw it up for people sure sure we'll we'll get on that this year sometime um but no that makes a lot of sense so so the the horn tips got to come up over the bridge of the nose. Now I have heard when you measure it, is it with the hide on or the hide off of that? <laughs> of that? Yeah. Well, when you measure it in the field, obviously <laughs> yeah. the hide hide is on. So um, you know when we measure it um, during a compulsory inspection, the hide's off. Yeah. So in that sense, you get about a quarter of an inch uh, of a bit of leeway, but. Um, yeah, making sure that that horn tip is clearly, and, and then of course the key here is that you do have to view it from a square angle, you know, you sort of have to be at that sheep's level. If you're looking from below and looking up, it's going to appear that that horn tip cranks way above the nose potentially, but when you get on their same level and you're looking at their level at a perpendicular, um, that's the key view you need. And that's, that's a tough view to get sometimes in the mountains. Well, and you want to see, ideally, like sort of my goal has always been I need to see both tips above the bridge of the nose from the side and for me to feel comfortable pulling the trigger. And I, and I've seen what I'm sure are legal rams with one side is over the bridge, but I can't make both tips over. And I just, I I just couldn't find myself in that situation that it didn't go right. But. That's a yeah, a good strategy there because that takes a little bit of the angle out of it. So if at any angle you can see that both tips, you know, are uh, beyond the bridge of the nose, then then you know you're looking at a, a full curl ram. So that's the full curl part, and then of course the other legal aspect is around the the age component too. Okay, so l- let's let's get into that. Can you give us a walk through what that's about and and what we're what we should be looking for? Sure. Yeah. So again, by definition, a legal stone sheep in British Columbia either has to be full curl, which we've identified, and then, um, or it can be uh, have reached the age of eight years old or older, as as evidenced by the horn annuli. So that's where this whole aging piece comes into play. So there's so there's two and methods the, of the benefit of everyone listening. Um, what the heck is an annuli? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, great, great question. So it's a, it's a lot like a, a tree ring, really. It's it's a, a ring that gets deposited on the sheep's horns every year. Um, come sort of late winter when when growth has slowed to pretty much an absolute stop, um, they'll deposit a ring there that's quite identifiable in most cases. And uh, those are the annuli. So that, that gives us the ability to count the, or to determine the age of sheep just based by looking at its horns. Nice. So how many annuli do I have to be able to count on one horn to be sure that it is an eight-year-old ram? Well, simply put, eight is what you need, but there are some nuances, right? I mean, you've probably heard the term lamb tip and um, brooming, you know, so there's a few things we could cover there. 
the lamb tip is, is the really about the first inch and a half or two inches of horn growth that occurs, say, in the first nine months of that that uh, that lamb's life, and it doesn't really deposit an annuli after that first nine months. It's more of a bulge. So yeah. in that sense, you don't really see that as a ring necessarily, but you know there is a year's worth of life there. And then from that point on, um, the next few years, you're going to see rapid growth in the horn. So and the, the next texture two, changes really. Yeah, you can't. Thing. Yeah, so the the lamb tip's very smooth, and then as as you, as that sheep gets older, the texture generally get, is going to get rougher. Mm -hmm. um, but the the next two to three years, you're going to see quite a bit of horn growth. Um, you know, between the annuli, you know, six to eight inches, maybe more, maybe less um, in those next three segments. And then from that point on, um, around that, you know, four-year-old point, the, the, it's going to get sequentially lower, the growth. And, and it does that in a pretty typical pattern. Every year, there's less and less growth between the annuli as it moves towards the horn base. So, um, you know, you without even aging, without even counting the annuli, when you look at a ram and you see, you know, close to the base, you're seeing annuli that are really quite tight together, maybe, you know, half an inch, an inch apart, you know that ram has some, some age to it. What's, what's changing in the animal's biology that they're unable to, to put down more horn? Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a matter of just rapid growth at a young age. Ah, okay. Yeah. They're just young and yeah. girl. Yeah. And, and, and at a young age, it's, it's a much narrower... Uh, horn that they're producing and at an older age yep. it's a much it's a much heavier Earthly. mass but it's a much less distance that they're producing that's so, right yeah yeah so the mass mass kind of continues through age and then but the, the the length starts to really decline with age huh. yep. yeah so as it gets so so where i've really struggled is you can count like okay there's the lamb tip that's one and then you, you go six inches down that's two years old then three four five six and then when you get to seven, you're kind of getting closer and closer to the base. And then there's like this, there's mass and there's a few dark lines in the mass. And you're trying to figure out if that's, was that an annuli? Is that an annual? Is that three annuli in there? Or is that just, you know, shadows in my eyes hoping that there is. And it gets <laughs> seeing what you want to see. Well, yeah, yeah, it just gets, it gets very difficult in the, those last three rings, particularly on a, what I would assume are eight year old rams. Like they, um, challenge more challenging. Yeah, and often, yeah, they can get quite faint um, as you near near the base. Um, and then, I mean, and rams vary quite a bit. Some some rams are light horned and the light colored horned, and the annuli show up quite easily. And some are darker, and, and the annuli really don't show up very well. But again, you know, for clues, it's really looking at that pattern. You know, if if you've counted to say seven rings, and now you know if you've got big gaps between your rings and you're getting to the seventh one and you're getting kind of close to the base, you know, you can expect that that ram has grown another probably two inches in horn length. It's unlikely that there is another annuli near the base in, in a lot of those cases. So, I mean, right from the get-go, if I'm, if I'm looking at a ram, I'm going to look at the top part of the horn and just see what's there for annuli. If I'm seeing big gaps between the annuli, you know, that are three inches apart, you know right then and there that you're looking at a younger ram that's going to be probably in that six, seven, maybe eight-year-old range. So now you got to be careful. Um, when you start seeing them really stacked in there, now you, you, you suspect you're looking at an older ram. And so it gives you at least a starting point to know what you're looking at. 
Okay, that's that's great. That's where I kind of wanted to, I was hoping we'd go here because that, that's really what I wanted is sort of think about what are some of the telltales of, of, of a more of that mature class RAM uh, that, you know, not, not looking at the annual, just the body shape, the horn configuration, how it, how it fits, or just what are some of the things I might be able to see uh, as if I've seen lots of sheep and all of a sudden I'm going to see one that's different. What am I going to see that's different about it? Yeah, well, I mean, even from a distance, you might see, well, the length is one thing, but, you know, you can have young, long rams. Uh, you might see some mass in, in these older rams are generally a bit heavier. Um, it's not necessarily uh, a rule of a thumb, but generally, you know, you see some darker horns in older rams. Again, though, that varies. But looking at the body, I mean, it's similar to how you'd look at any ungulate with age, you know, whether you've seen that kind of sway back, uh, the big belly, the, the Roman nose is a good giveaway on a lot of sheep. Um, those, you know, those seven-year-old rams and younger, they still have sort of that baby face to them. Whereas those older rams, you, you can see the maturity in the face. So yeah, there's some clues there just by looking at their body for sure. Yeah, I remember. I remember I was at Glasson and I, I was looking at a bunch of young, a group of six, seven-year-old rams, and then three rams ran above them, and I just looked at them. I was like, oh, those are totally different rams, and and they were just their their bellies were dragging on the ground, their necks were thick, like they just had a heavier something going on on top of their head and as they ran by i was like oh those are legal rams and that was the yeah. first time i was like 100 percent, those are legal rams. and that wasn't even like they were running and i just caught them in the top of my spotting scope and then when i when i went up and looked at them where they were bedded down i was like oh okay those are those are what they're they're legal rams there's the 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 tips are well over their nose the the heaviness of the they have a, just a different configuration the one thing i noticed is that they're the, the um it almost looks like their uh, horns kind of drop down a little bit and down and around a little bit more. They're almost a lower profile horn and it kind of drops below their jaw some of the weight. Or maybe it's just I'm noticing yeah. that there's more weight in in the bottom part of the of the of the sweep below their jaw. There's a heavier maybe because it a feel that they're um, carrying more mass down and through, I guess. But yeah, that that can really vary too, though. I mean, you can have thin, curly, spindly horns on an old ram. You yeah. can have those deep droppers that never even come that close to the bridge of the nose on, on old rams too. It, it really does vary. Um, I think, you know, an important piece, you know, when, when folks are planning for a hunt like this is you got to expect, you know, in the perfect world, you go up there and you see this ram that's really curly, definitely breaks the bridge of the nose. It's old, you know, it's a no brainer, but you do have to prepare for some of these scenarios where one, you might be seeing rams that are young, but, around the bridge of the nose. What are you going to do in that situation? You might be seeing rams that you suspect are old, but definitely not full curl. You should kind of have a sense ahead of time what you're going to do in those scenarios. Are you going to try to age that ram and, and, and to harvest it? Or, or are you just not at that comfort level? Do you walk away from a sheep like that? Yeah. yeah. I think that's a nice, uh, so, so that's kind of, I like that. And, and I, I know that where we've been and, and, uh, Right, where in my experience, I, we've walked away from those situations just without feeling that comfort. Um, so we've kind of talked about expectations. So we're, we're we're all planning to kill three rams and two elk on this trip. Um, you know, I think it's important that we kind of you know what 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 is a reasonable expectation uh, for for a sheep hunt? And, and you know, like I think that you know one thing I do see is that like and we talked about this before we started recording, Mike. Just like you know, there's 
you know, there seems to be a lot more interest in this type of hunting, this sort of adventure hunting uh, of going out sheep hunting and is this a physical challenge of it? There's so much, um, you know, reliance on this awesome new technology and gear that's available to us. And it just seems like there's a lot more interest in it. There's certainly 20 years ago when I started doing stuff like this, uh, to, to now, um, you know, what, what, what's a reasonable expectation for somebody getting into this as far as going out and having a successful hunt? Well, statistically speaking, I mean, the, the success rates are around like, I think eight to 11% for most hunters, at least in the peace region. I know that to be true. So you could look at it that way. If, if your measure of success is harvesting a sheep, but I mean, yeah, the expectations, um, yeah, I'd say there's probably the success rate is low for, you know, new and first time sheep hunters. Uh, That rate probably increases with, with going out with more experienced people, mentors and whatnot. Um, you know, the, I think regardless of a successful harvest or not, I mean, you really got to look at success as sort of the whole adventure, right. Or you may end up pretty disappointed by the end. And it is, uh, it, it's, a, Jenny. it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, we're going to have fun. I just also like to get a sheet. <laughs> Three of them. Yeah. So just one, maybe one. <laughs> one would be great. I, I mean, yeah, one would be great. I figure if we got one sheep, I would be tickled. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, you have those opportunities where suddenly you get into a band of rams, and maybe there's two legal rams in that group, and you can you do a double header. I mean, I've actually never been a part of that, but I mean, it can happen for sure. I was trying to I was trying to convince Jenny to leave her gun behind, and she did. I was like, "Why do we need three guns for? We just need one gun. We we're lucky enough to see one sheep." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I said that I was okay with that, but it was you that was going to leave your gun behind. <laughs> Right, I, I remember that discussion. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, and I, I can carry that gun up the mountain, so you'll be all right. Everyone, everyone wants a gun in their tent when they're sleeping at night, too. So, oh, keep yes. that in mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, sure. you know, going into grizzly bear country, I, you know, there's so many different factors at play on these sheep hunts. You know, when you talk about expectations, I mean, w- one thing you can expect is to to really push yourself. I mean, I, I kind of describe sheep hunting as always being uncomfortable you know <laughs> you're, you're, whether you're, you're too hot or you're too cold or you're getting rained on the wind's relentless you're dodging thunderstorms you're bumping into bears you're dealing with bugs I mean and, and you're and at the same time you're pushing yourself to the physical limit the mental limit uh, you know there's not many times on a sheep hunt where you where at least for me where I lay back and say oh this is really pleasant you know most of the time you're you're facing something adverse, some adverse condition. Like I haven't I haven't got the deposit from these guys yet. <laughs> for the, for the but that, that's all. That's the adventure, right? That's what makes the the stories all that much better. And if you are successful in in harvesting a sheep, well, that that just really brings it all together. You'll never you'll never forget that. Well, there are moments when you're just laying up there in the alpine, and there's like <laughs> sheep dancing around you, and like you're just you're in a bed of wildflowers, and it is like there's no more beautiful place in the world to be i mean it's it's sort of you know bookended by thunderstorms and grizzly bears chasing you but like it's still there's just that chance <laughs> yeah it, it pretty, makes the pleasant part so much better and sheep hunting for me is i think defines type two fun <laughs> so. yeah it's an, on another level for sure of, of hunting yeah, yeah. type three fun maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go deep yeah. <laughs> When you recover from getting back, then you have fun. 
Yeah. Take three it's not fun. fun at the time. It's fun when you're looking back on it. Cool. This has but been yeah. actually, yeah, go, go, go ahead. Mike. Sorry, Dylan. I was just kind of like to circle back to that aging piece. It, it, it can be really hard to describe without visuals. Right. So, uh, I mean, there's, there is lots of, um, you know, literature or, um, references out on the website that people can look at horn curling or horn curl, uh, um, challenges or aging challenges things like that i'd advise people to look into that but you know it, it really does you do need visuals it's hard for me to sort of explain you know without without providing some visuals but and there's um, some good resources on that actually yeah, we yeah point that sure. out and we'll definitely link to i know there's a couple of websites that, that do a good job of describing that and there's some visual aids on how to do that so we'll, we'll link those in the podcast but yeah. maybe on that note and it's probably a good thing we like we need to address and like you know what happens if you screw up like, what, what what should what should a hunter do if they you know they they screwed up and they misjudge a ram and they're looking at a ram that is seven years old and is laying on the ground in front of them um, yeah what yeah are your two bits on that mistakes happen right um they are avoidable in a lot of cases but you know um, the conservation officers who enforce you know these rules under the wildlife act recognize that mistakes happen um and, and you're going to get treated with a lot of respect you know if you if you come clean on what happened you know um cutting your tag dealing with that sheep as if as you would normally you know taking the meat taking the horns um taking the hide if that's your thing um and, and packing that sheep out, taking great care of it as as you normally would, and then when you when you get um, when you get back into civilization, I mean, if it's an absolute no doubter that you've you've screwed up, made a mistake, then you know you contact the conservation officers. A lot of the times, you know, some hunters may come back uncertain, right? They've got the sheep and they're not actually sure. Well, is this legal or not? And they're not going to know until they actually go get it inspected. Okay. And so, I mean, that you know, that's got to be an extremely uncomfortable feeling, you know, for days on end as you deal with this ram and travel back with it. So, um, at that point, you know, you'd get it compulsory inspected. And uh, the inspector that is going to make a determination uh, whether it's legal or not, and they may seek uh, some expert advice on that too. But generally, they're going to notify the the conservation officer if it's if it's an illegal ram. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I think ultimately, the most important thing is that you you know not, notify the seals at your first available possible that you, that you're unsure that you may have uh, you know you, if you're not sure about you, what you've got there and and you'll find out eventually when you can have it compulsory inspected but yeah if you wanna... if you got the technology to reach out you know whether that's an in reach or or sat phone definitely good to get ahead of it um and yeah you'll see that you know you you will be treated well if you if you if you take the right steps for sure totally okay we got two more questions for you mike first question is an easy one uh, do you need an eat wild hat or an eat wild apron in your or life? Oh, <laughs> you know, you guys really impressed me with the the cooking aspects of eat wild. Um, I try to live up to some of those expectations, but I, I love a good hat. I'd, I'd take a hat any day. Right on. Okay. There'll be one in the mail for you. I, I know, I know where your office is, so I'll be able to find you. Or actually, we'll stop in and buy you a beer on our way through, too. We'll probably end up staying nearby so yeah, uh, that'd be on, great. on our way through. Uh, and the last question is, okay, so just something fun. Uh, you're an avid hunter. What, what is your dream hunt in North America, or should we go the world? What, what, <laughs> like, what hunt would you most want to do in the world? I mean, you already wow, have yeah. access to the best hunts in North America, basically in your front yard. Uh, how about the world? What would you want to do? If you, if you could pack, pack into a plane and fly off somewhere and go, where would you go? 
Yeah, well, that I mean, I can give the corny answer in that like we're so so lucky in BC that you know I feel we get to live those hunts every year. Really, I mean, with yeah. over-the-counter tags in a lot of cases, you hunt you know get to hunt stone sheep every year and, and and some phenomenal elk hunting every year. I'm a huge elk uh, addict. Um, so the rose, the coastal Roosevelt hunt would be pretty high on the list. I you know I'm not I'm not overly. Uh, I guess obsessed with the idea of hunting sort of out of country, like hunting a species that I really don't know much about doesn't necessarily appeal to me a ton. So um, I'd probably, I mean, I love BC so much. I might, you know, the idea of one day having that, um, that premier's tag for the sheep where you could hunt any of these sheep species um, sort of outside of the usual seasons, you know, to, to hunt stone sheep in the rut or to go down to the Kootenays and hunt big horns in November. Oh, yeah. Uh, wow. ooh, that'd be that'd be pretty high up on my list i i don't imagine i'll ever have that tag in my pocket but um <laughs> if we're dreaming here that would be right up there that and yeah no, maybe a big coastal roosevelt elk hunt i think would be up there right on i know i know a guy i know daryl 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 the biologist down here i'll talk to him yeah later. that's right yeah yeah that's awesome yeah no i i like that answer too and i i i've reflected on that as well i, I had an invitation to go to africa to hunt uh, a few years ago and i just like i couldn't really piece it together in my head like so much of hunting for me is is this conversation that we're having now about just getting to know BC and the species that live here. And that's what makes it so interesting to me. So it'd be really hard to get excited about, you know, going somewhere outside of my home territory to, to hunt. So, um, totally, yeah, I yeah, know. I what about I, sheep hunting in Iran? <laughs> That'd be yeah. sort of cool. That's what the Jack O'Connor books I'm reading right now. <laughs> yeah, that would really up the adventure level right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that for the time being. I think. All kinds of factors to consider. <laughs> yeah, all kinds of risks. Yeah, and Chrissy Bears and a whole bunch of other things that you can think of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this has been tons of fun, Mike. I really appreciate taking the time to do this. Uh, any final thoughts from, from Jenny or Selena before we let Mike go? Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, for sure. Okay, and then, uh, so anyways. Oh, we'll, I, got, I got a question yeah. though. Hold cool. on. Cool, yeah. I've heard that the big rams stand up in the evening. <laughs> Is that a thing? Seven o'clock. <laughs> Seven o'clock. I'll be there. Okay. Yeah. Please set, my alarm. Set, your, set your alarm. I'll be there. Beauty. Awesome. Oh, right, yeah, well, no, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on and uh, definitely hoping you guys have an awesome adventure and, uh, and, and wishing all your listeners a really uh, successful and safe hunting season as well. Oh, that's excellent, Mike. We'll, we'll hang on here for a second and then I'll just wrap up. So, Hey everybody, so thank you so much for joining us. It's been a ton of fun and I hope you enjoyed what we're chatting about. Um, there's Claire, it sounds like it's time for the podcast to shut down and take her for a walk. But uh, if you could please uh, you know, share this content with other people who might enjoy it, please take a minute to um, review the podcast and you can come find us. If, you, if you're not local and do a course with us, you can find us. We're doing uh, webinars online right now. Um, you should be able to go to eatwild.ca and uh, find out what we're up to and at least get the newsletter and uh, keep, keep in touch with what we're up to. Anyways, thanks so much and we'll talk to you all soon.